Good afternoon. Uh, Dr. Paul Wendy here with Intrinsic Value Wealth Report Radio, our weekly podcast on the markets and the economy and investing and um, related topics. So welcome to the new year. Um, it is Thursday, uh, January 7th, and um, let's go ahead and begin. Usually I, I cover a um, the lead article that we do, um, and I'll just mention briefly that we have um, really begun to expand our uh, financial planning, wealth building, uh, wealth management practice, um, and more on that later, you can actually look at this week's um, commentary for a little bit <clears throat> more background on, on what we do there. But what I really wanted to focus on in this uh, first week of the, um, of the new year is really to go back and look at last week's commentary and last week's podcast in which we had some concluding thoughts for 2020 and which um, now are very apropos going forward in 2021. So I want to expand upon those. Uh, some of it will be uh, repeats from what we did last week. And I know some of you listen to this commentary as opposed to taking the time to read the, uh, I'm sorry, you, some of you listen to these podcasts as opposed to you taking the time to read the commentary. And that's fine. I, I do the same thing uh, for many, um, uh, in many occasions. So in any way, I'm going to, this will be a little bit longer podcast, um, but I just, I'll kind of, kind of read and paraphrase, paraphrase, um, the uh, the commentary we did last week, which is a good start for uh, uh, for this week and this uh, this new year of 2021. So um, you know, I start out by saying, by the way, the title is um, "It's Not Different This Time," uh, and it's my end of year 2020 thoughts. Um, the key part, which we'll talk about here in a moment, is it's not different this time. Okay, so uh, let, let's go on and we'll explain that as we go. So. Um, you know, I, I say that I'm reflecting on the year 2020 that's passing, and of course now is passed in the year 2021 on the horizon, which of course is now is here. Um, and I make note that I'm seeing a lot of, like everybody, like all of us, I'm seeing a flood of you know year end and beginning of year predictions um, in my uh, email inbox and uh, other podcasts and uh, you know uh, news media and so forth that I I follow and that we all do. And everyone, all the pundits are making um, their 2021 predictions. And, you know, I say that, um, you know, I feel the need to, uh, uh, something of the need tugging at me to make these same, and I call them ridiculous, 2021 predictions um, that everyone feels they have to do. I feel the same need tugging at me lest I be left out of the prediction game. But I note that I'm not going to succumb to these animal instincts or animal spirits, as uh, Keynes, Lord Keynes um, said in 1936 in his, uh, um, in his uh, um, famous uh, book. Um, so the point I really want to make here is I'm not going to tell you, you know, so the pundits, what they tend to do is they, you know, they, they give a lot of information, which uh, a lot of times is just what people want to hear. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. I've always done that. Uh, that will never change. Um, and I note that if a few few less people read my newsletter, uh, that's okay. Um, because what I, I really want you to, I want to give you my best take on what's happening, what's likely to happen in a very broad sense, because I'm not going to make any ridiculous predictions like um, some other people are doing. Um, and that's just not possible, by the way, for people to do. That's why why I don't do it. We we can only look at trends and 
you know, fundamentals and um, and so forth. As I'll explain as we uh, as we go through the uh, the podcast today. So, uh, no wild predictions, um, just good sound advice. Um, and I hope uh, you um, at least you know hear what I have to say. Um, and as I I note here, this is a little bit maybe um, presumptuous on my part, but I note that. Um, the ones who do read and take to heart what I say will be much better prepared for 2021 and far beyond. Again, I'm not making any wild predictions. I'm just kind of trying to tell you, summarize as we've been doing in these uh, commentaries and podcasts uh, since we began them. And um, so anyway, here we go. So the first and most important thing to um, uh, consider is we've been talking about for I think most of, of 2020 and 2019 as well, a good part of 2019, is that the market's very overvalued. Um, now, one of the uh, sources, resources that we follow is um, a resource called <clears throat> Advisor Perspectives. You can get the, uh, the link for that in the, uh, the commentary. And quoting from Advisor Perspectives, um, they said, our monthly market valuation updates have long had the same conclusions. U.S. stock indexes are significantly overvalued, which suggests cautious expectations on investment returns. Um, in a normal, in quotes, market environment, where it, uh, which is one with conventional business cycles, Federal Reserve policy, interest rates, and inflation. And note this, please. Current valuation levels would be a serious concern. And they are a serious concern, um, even given this very wacky environment that we're in. Now, <clears throat> we use a lot of valuation metrics for the market. Uh, one of the ones we use is the price earnings ratio. There's a lot of varieties of how you can use price earnings ratios. You can use the CAPE, uh, sickly adjusted price earnings ratio that Scheller came up with. Um, and uh, you can use price earnings ratios with forward looking earnings and historical. We tend to use the historical, but, but look, certainly look at the others as well. Um, but the, the price earnings ratio is evaluation metrics. Um, it's a good one, it's not the only one to use, um, but it's, it's got a lot of research behind it, a lot of good research. And one of the um, indisputable uh, facts, if you will, about the, the PD ratio is that when it gets high, as it is now, it does revert to the mean. Um, and this can happen, you have to note in, in one of two ways, price earnings ratios is a, is a ratio, it's price over earnings. So the way that that, um, PD ratio can revert, can correct back down, is either that earnings go up or the price comes down or both. Um, and certainly both, both is a possibility as well. But as I note in the, um, in the commentary, um, the, the prospect of earnings rising significantly to correct the uh, price earnings ratio, that's gonna be difficult to do. I'm not saying it can't happen. Um, and certainly businesses and the governments and everyone else is trying to, um, to make that a reality. But as we'll talk about here in a moment with the economy, um, you know, that's gonna be tough for, for uh, businesses to uh, correct that price earnings, you know, price earnings ratio in any significant way. So um, now I can't tell you when the, when the PD ratio will correct. I'm not gonna make that prediction. It may not even happen in 2021. But um, if you look at the historical record on price earnings ratios and the and the reversion that does happen. And there's a lot of different links to that in the current commentary, um, as well as other commentaries I've published in the um, Intrinsic Value Wealth Report newsletter. Uh, you'll see it's pretty clear that, um, that uh, the, the PD ratio does 
That's correct um, at some point in time. By the way, also you can look at another chart which I've referenced before, um, which looks at the um, S&P 500 um, forward price earnings ratios versus the um, uh, historical following 10-year period of returns, okay? And when the price earnings ratio gets very, very high, then the returns on the S&P 500 tend to decline and even into the negative, negative territory. And again, that's just simply the, the price to earnings ratio is a reflection of, of that happening. Um, so um, just, you know, that, that's something that we, we watch very, very carefully and, and I strongly urge you to um, consider that as well. I note here that we are quite likely in a financial bubble in many, many markets. Um, several examples come readily to mind, um, Tesla being one of them. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's just the market for one stock. There's, you know, whole markets, our, our whole market, the whole, the whole uh, S&P 500 and Dow and however you want to measure it, um, certainly seems to be in a uh, financial bubble, as we've been talking about. You know, it's unfortunate that most people don't realize when they're in a financial bubble and they just keep piling in and making that bubble get bigger and bigger and bigger um, until it, uh, it, it collapses. The, the thinking behind that for many people is, I put in quotes uh, or italics, uh, it will be different this time. So getting back to the, uh, the title of this article, it won't be different this time. Um, it, it isn't, it never is, um, but people think it is um, when they're in the midst of a financial bubble and then the bubble bursts and they realize that they were wrong in that assessment. Okay, <clears throat> let's talk about the economy for a minute. Well, I, you know, in, in this short podcast and even in the short or rather long commentary I did uh, last week, um, it's, I, I'm not going to try and cover all the economics um, data and, and so forth that we've covered, we've been covering for the last, uh, this past year. You can certainly go back and look at our commentaries and we'll be doing, you know, we, we always evaluate the economy uh, from different perspectives. Um, in, in all of our commentaries. So just follow those commentaries and the podcast. We'll talk a little bit about economic variables. But to give you a quick summary uh, or maybe a broad overview of where we, uh, we are with the economy, uh, the US and global economies have been severely impacted, as we know, uh, since the pandemic. Um, and uh, I mean, that goes without saying, right? Uh, businesses, consumers are also heavily in debt. And that's an important consideration to note. Um, I believe that uh, Ray Dalio is um, going to be writing extensively about, about that when his uh, new book comes out. It's been postponed now till I think May, but you know, look back. Uh, uh, Ray Dalio has written extensively on the uh, uh, you know the debts that countries have gotten themselves into in the global economy, um, and uh, and Ray Dalio is certainly um, a, a person. Uh, that's uh, worth listening to and, and reading his um, uh, what, what he's written. So, this, so the government's the government's in huge debt. I have a chart uh, in last week's uh, commentary showing the um, the total debt that the uh, U.S. is in. You know, relative going all the way back to 1966. It's kind of scary when you look at that. Uh, businesses, consumers are also heavily in debt. Now, the debt situation is not new to the uh, pandemic. Um, the, the government and businesses and consumers, everyone was in debt a lot before the pandemic hit, but it's certainly gotten worse um, 
since the pandemic, particularly with the, uh, the government um, due to its uh, stimulus efforts. Um, so um, let's see. Oh yeah, uh, the other thing is affecting the economy besides uh, debt um, is that we have a now de uh, democratic party not, uh, dominated government, okay, going into two 2021, which poses among other risks, the risk of a pickup in inflation and further rising debt, debt levels. I mean, that's just the nature of the, uh, of the game there, right? Um, and then finally, many economists, including some of those at the, uh, the Fed, uh, su suggest it could take a decade or longer for the US economy to fully recover. Now, that's a long time, and um, we should be mindful of that, uh, that possibility. Uh, but in any event, any recovery that happens will be hampered by high debt and inflation, which is gonna be with us for a long time um, and possibly even getting worse with the, uh, the new administration and the new um, uh, influence of, of the uh, um, more democratic party uh, side of the equation. So the pandemic, as we know, continues to surge in countries around the world. Every day it gets worse. It's not getting any better. We do have, we do have vaccines that have been improved and are being um, uh, distributed. Um, but interestingly enough, um, you know, we, we have distribution problems. I mean, sadly enough, right? Uh, the interesting part is, is that um, science, as I note here in my commentary, science has been better at developing vaccines than governments have been at figuring out how to get the vaccines distributed to the populations. So as I note, there uh, no surprise there. Um, but I don't believe that global economies will be able to recover in any significant way until the spread of the virus is stopped. Um, and hopefully that's gonna be pretty soon, um, maybe just a matter of months now. Um, you know, even given the distribution problems, they, they will get worked out. Um, we'll get the vaccine out to everybody. It's gonna take a while. Um, probably won't be the most efficient thing. In fact, it'll probably be one of the most inefficient things that we've ever seen. Um, but everyone's trying and, and it will, will happen. Um, kind of another interesting point I think is that my, my belief is that the, um, uh, we, we, ne we need the vaccines and we need people to accept the vaccines on a, on a widespread basis because it's been pretty, pretty obviously shown in all countries, all cultures, that people aren't capable of the self-restraint um, and the self-discipline to social distance and even wear simple things like masks um, to, uh, to stop, stop the spread of the virus. And, um, and by the way, a lot of people don't even think that the virus is, a, is an issue. Um, so that's also open to, um, uh, to great debate. Uh, we, my family and I have actually known people that have have died from the uh, the virus and, and become very very sick by it. So I'm more of a believer because I've seen that, <clears throat> unfortunately, very um, uh, very close at hand. Um, but anyway, as I note here, uh, uh, we we need the vaccines. We need people to to uh, we need most people to take the vaccines, and um, hopefully people will continue to social distance and wear masks and things. But the vaccine, I think, could be the most important thing. Um, too, as I note here, vaccines will have to save people from themselves. It's a little cynical, but that's uh, that's what I think. Um, so as I mentioned, we have a new administration in American politics. The Biden-Harris administration appears to be shaping up as, the way I see it, it's a left of center to a progressive left. So kind of a little bit left of the center, and then even more left. Somewhere in there is where the, um, where the Biden-Harris Biden administration is, is going to be. 
Um, and I note here, I'm gonna particularly not make any predictions about how that might affect um, uh, the, you know, the markets um, going into 2021 because history has just not been conclusive on how different administrations um, uh, affect the markets. So kind of concluding, um, uh, how, you know, how should we invest? Well, as I've been saying for quite some time, I believe the answer is to stay the course. Uh, the market's overvalued, the economy is struggling, the pandemic is still surging, and, um, uh, where was I, sorry. Um, oh yeah, and we have a new US political administration. So what exactly does stay the course mean? So what that means is, again, as I've been suggesting for quite some time, that if you have a regular investing, investing program, just stay with it. Don't jump into the markets in a big way. These are very, very overvalued markets. Um, you know, 25 or 30 years from now, especially for you younger folks, you'll look back and, you know, you'll, you'll probably see uh, some, you'll undoubtedly see a lot of ups and downs in the market, but um, in the very, very long term, even today's market will look like it was a bargain uh, had you gotten into it. But, um, but you're gonna see a lot of volatility. The market is very overvalued, so don't jump into it in a big way. Uh, but do stay with a regular investment program if you if you have one. If you don't have a regular investment program, especially for your younger folks, start one. Okay, you need to you need to do that over the uh, the course of your lives. Um, but again, don't jump into the markets in a big way um, if you start a new investment program. Um, so a couple of other things I think that are important to look at um, as we go into 2021. I mean, these are lessons that are good at any point in time, but uh, particularly. And um, uh, I think it's particularly good to reflect on these as we start the new year. So be careful with your stock selection. Um, you can find good values in you can find good values in good companies in any market. But of course, you're gonna it's gonna be easier to find better values in in down markets. But that doesn't mean you can't find good values in good companies even in very overvalued markets like now. In fact, a lot of the S and P 500 is actually down probably more rationally reflecting the, uh, the realities of the economy and, and the, the current world environment. Um, so be careful in your stock selection. You know, don't, don't jump into overvalued companies. Um, uh, find good companies that are gonna be around and do well for a long time and buy them when they're cheap um, or more reasonably valued. Um, and so, in fact, I make a note here that uh, a good rule to follow when investing in individual companies is to use what I call the Warren Buffett's three rights. Um, and that's the right company with the right people at the right price. So let me say that again. So, you know, keep this rule always in mind. By the way, I did write an article in the August 18th, 2020 commentary, which you can go back and read uh, about this, this philosophy, this concept. So Warren Buffett's three rights. Uh, he suggests um, that you invest in the right company. So good companies with all the fundamentals that we talk about. Um, uh, you know, good management, good products, economic moats, and so forth. So you want to find good companies with the right people. So good management is so important and at the right price. And that's, again, that's reflecting the fact that, that even, in up, even in overvalued markets, you want to look for companies that, that are selling at, at valuations that are at least somewhat reasonable. Now, another thing to keep in mind is that um, and most people don't, don't understand this concept. Um, uh, certainly by the time people get done with one of my finance classes, um, 
we, we make it abundantly clear and hopefully students come away with knowing this, that in the long run, the success of your investment program really is not so dependent upon what stocks you pick, but it's dependent upon what asset classes you're in. And when I say asset classes, asset classes are stocks, bonds, real estate, cash, um, alternative investments, and so forth. So your, your investment results in the long run, as long as you're diversified, okay, are going to come more from whether you were in stocks versus bonds or bonds versus cash uh, than what particular companies you chose um, after you've done all your careful stock selection. Not to say you shouldn't do the stocks, careful stock selection. That's an important ingredient as well. But just keep in mind that when we do return attributions, seeing out where the seeing where the where the returns really came from, it, it actually does come from asset allocation on a long-term basis uh, when we're looking at well-diversified um, portfolios. So keep that in mind. That's an important lesson. We'll probably talk more about that uh, in the coming year as we do other commentaries um, and podcasts. So to kind of wrap this up, I was reflecting on what two of the greatest, two, two of what I consider to be the greatest investors of all time. There's many, many, but these two gentlemen stand out. Um, and that's uh, Philip Fisher, who most people have not heard of, and Warren Buffett, who of course everyone has heard of. But they actually have very, very similar philosophies. In fact, it's my understanding that Warren Buffett learned a lot of what he knows um, from reading and, and knowing uh, uh, Philip Fisher. So um, both of these investors, Fisher and Buffett, are very long-term oriented investors and tend to hold good companies for very long periods of time. Now, there's a video I, I like to show to all my, uh, or most of my uh, classes in finance, MBA classes, undergraduate classes. Uh, I even show it to, I show it to pretty much all my classes because it's, um, it's really a good video. I have a link to it in the, uh, the newsletter if you're interested in watching it. And it's um, an interview that was done with Warren Buffett um, with the University of North Carolina way back in 1996. And, um, and so I've watched this now probably 25 or 30 times, um, maybe more, because like I say, I show it to, to a lot of my classes. And every time I watch it, I, I have a little, little different takeaway. It's on YouTube, by the way, so you can look, you can look at it 25 or 30 times too, if you'd like. And, and I don't think that would be such a bad idea. But one thing I, one little nugget I picked up out of, out of the last time I looked at it uh, with an MBA class is Buffett explained, you know, Buffett is well known for buying companies and holding on to them. You know, it's often said that Buffett's favorite holding period is forever. And, you know, I've always kind of wondered why that is and have researched it a little bit and so forth. And Buffett in this interview said it very clearly why he why he does that and and the and to paraphrase him a little bit the reason that he buys companies and holds them forever is because he does a lot of research and gets to really know the companies and the management and so forth and that's a lot of work and um and when he finds a company that he really likes that he really believes in then he doesn't want to have to look for you know uh, another company i mean he do, he does he has but his idea is to have a very concentrated portfolio as well so the idea is, the basic idea is when he finds a good company, he wants to stay with it for the long term. And that's why he, uh, that's why his favorite holding period is forever. Uh, it's not to say he doesn't make changes when necessary, but, um, but if, if his research and his insights uh, have, have worked on selecting a particular company, well, why change, right? So, um, so that's that philosophy. 
And then finally, <clears throat> I want to just comment on Philip Fisher. Um, again, Fisher and Buffett have many of the same philosophies. And so the other night I was looking through um, uh, one of Philip Fisher's books, one called Common Stocks and Uncoffin, Uncommon Profits, Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits. Um, that was published, the latest version was published in 2003. And so Ken Fisher, who many people have, have heard of, um, Ken's a very, uh, very great investor in his own right, um, has a very large money management firm. Um, and um, and he, he speaks frequently. And, and um, so uh, and I've heard a couple of his talks uh, recently as well. A couple of groups I belong to have actually had him as a speaker. So he, so Ken Fisher wrote an, uh, an introduction, a prologue, if you will, to um, the most recent ver version of Common Stocks and Common Profits that his dad wrote. And I just wanted to quote this little last, last thing here, last quote here from Ken Fisher, um, in which he was commenting on his father's viewpoints on the market. So would he, uh, that is, would Ken Fisher's father, would he have worried about the myriad of other negatives in contemporary media, like corporate integrity, double dip recession possibilities, high market price earnings ratios, the risk of Brazil defaulting or whatever, um, question mark. And he answers, no, not much. He would have used, he that is his dad, he would have used this time while others focused on the wrong things to refocus on the basic fundamentals of the firms he owned and to see if he should still own them. So I think that really kind of uh, is a good way to wrap up today's podcast is, you know, um, pick good companies, don't overpay for them, diversify your portfolio. Remember that in the long run, um, it's whether you're in stocks versus bonds versus real estate versus other asset classes that's going to make the most difference on your portfolio. Yes, we have some challenges going into 2021, uh, as we talked about in this podcast, but just, you know, uh, stay with your your stay the course on on your investing program. Find those good companies, and uh, and when you find them, um, you know, continue to evaluate them. But but as long as they remain good companies, you know, uh, stay with them as long as you can. And um, so I think with that, we're going to end today's podcast. Happy New Year again, and we will talk to you next week. Goodbye for now. <laughs>